This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Showcase Virtual 2022. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and I'm really excited to introduce uh, Team Canada for the Stock Pitch World Cup. Moderating this panel is the, uh, I mean, I, I go to him for, for everything, all things Canadian microcap, not resource mostly, but uh, but anything Canadian microcap, you know, uh, this, is, this is my guy. So Paul Andriola from Small Cap Discoveries. Paul, thank you so much for doing this. Hey, Bobby. Always, always fun to catch up. Always fun to be involved, and uh, uh, love, love the approach we're taking this time around. Yeah, it's a cool format. I, I mean, it's really, it's really fun. It's, it's the way. It's the. Uh, it's it's the the theme uh, that uh, we're we're seeing in you know we're seeing in full speed uh, you know in the World Cup right now. So yeah, uh, listen. I just we're just hoping that Team Canada, the Stock Pitch World Cup, does a little bit better than uh, Team Canada, <laughs> the actual World Cup. But they, they set they set the bar pretty low, so we we should be able to do okay. <laughs> yeah, mind you, you know what? I'm proud of the team. They they did score their first goal in in World Cup history. So uh, it's it's a baby steps. Baby Davies steps is here. good. Davies is good. Uh, the guys are good. The guys yeah. are good. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you know, uh, before we get into the, the the actual pitches themselves, you know, mm. I, I've been asking this to all the moderators is to just kind of give their two cents on the region itself and why folks who are listening and are watching this right now should be paying attention. So I'm going to ask that same question to you. You know, why Canada and why now? Well, you know what, Bobby? I mean, I think um, about about fifteen years ago, I remember I I'd, uh, I I pitched the Canadian story, the the microcap club down in the U.S., and um, it, I almost could hear the boos and hisses and uh, uh, people because I think it, it, a lot of investors still look at Canada as as uh, you know a market of mining stocks and and junior oils and things like that, and it's just not the case. There are a lot of those here for sure, but um, there's a lot of great businesses that I think are, are obscured by both sort of the larger stocks that are in Canada and the the sort of the mineral exploration and extraction businesses that are out here. And these tend to go um, sort of undiscovered and less known and, of course, more mispriced because of that. Now, I've, I've noticed some really, really smart investors and a few guys that you've had from, from you know, competing teams here. Um, you know, they, they're always up here in Canada looking in my backyard, looking for deals. So they, they know that there's some great stuff up here. Um, and it's just that, you know, the microcaps are, are, are sort of more left alone up here and there's, there's no real strong analyst coverage in the, in the small space. So we just, we have great deals that if, if you're willing to look hard enough, you, you can find them. Absolutely. All right. Well, so without any further ado, uh, let's get cracking on these stock pitches. So Paul, uh, let's, let's rock. Let's rock. All right. Uh, first up for Team Canada, we have Sharon Wang, Senior Analyst, Pender Fund Capital Management. She'll be talking about Copper Leaf Technologies. Sharon, take it away. Hi, Paul. How are you? Um, hi, everyone. Um, today, I'm going to talk about Copper Leaf Technologies. Um, it's a Vancouver-based uh, enterprise software company. Uh, Pender Fund is currently a shareholder of the um, uh, company. Um, so the company, what they do is they provide 
Decision Analytics software. Oh, sorry. Decision Analytics software for um, infrastructure companies to optimize asset planning. For example, utilities companies would use them to decide when and where to invest in capital uh, assets to minimize risks, meet regulatory approvals, or um, maximize capital efficiency. So the company started back in 2000 as a consulting company. And after the current management team um, come in, they uh, around 2010, they started to pivot to a uh, pure software uh, company. And in the recent last couple, couple of years, they have been transitioning to SaaS, software as a service. Um, if you look at their revenue um, streams, they actually have three streams of revenue, subscription revenue, which includes the SaaS revenue and maintenance and support, that's over half of their total revenue. And then the other two parts is the license, perpetual license revenue and professional services. Right now, all, almost all the major sales are um, SaaS subscription deals. However, because their customer base um, are utilities companies and some, um, some actually of their customers would prefer to capitalize expenses. So, so that's why they still have uh, part of the revenue as perpetual license revenue. They've, they have uh, customers all over the world and um, they went IPO at, um, at, at the TSX exchange last year around October. Um, if As of Q3 this year, if you look at their uh, company, they generated about 76 um, million of uh, uh, total revenue in the last 12 months. And um, the revenue growth is at a healthy clip uh, of 19%. But if you look at the chart at the, the left, um, the, the annual recurring revenue, which is these, um, the subscription and um, uh, maintenance and support revenue, they have been growing uh, very fast uh, from 2018. As of 20, Q3 2022, it was a uh, 27%. And uh, the other important metrics for SaaS companies are um, the net revenue retention, which means you know, at the beginning, uh, how much revenue is still capture at the end of the period uh, for the same customer customer group. So they have a healthy 109% net revenue retention, which means, you know, um, at the very beginning of the uh, period, they, they got $100 from the customers, but at the end of the, uh, the period, they got 109, which means a healthy expansion. Um, and they also have a pretty healthy uh, revenue backlog, which is 93 million. And that would give us a pretty visible visibility for the next year uh, revenue. So if you look at the company's snapshot, you would think this is a very good um, company grow, growing and um, have a healthy um, a backlog, visible revenue streams and uh, very sticky customer base. Um, However, if you look at the stock chart, it was uh, uh, pretty ugly. They uh, peaked at over $25 about a year ago and um, came down right now trading around um, uh, sub $5 um, uh, level. And um, the market cap is only uh, a little bit over 300 million, but they have 150 million cash on the balance sheet. And um, um, on, from a revenue multiple perspective, they're trading around two times. So it's it's i i believe there is a, a big um, mislocation between the value and the price for this company um the reasons are here because they are if we evaluate this company from a quality perspective they're a very high quality company from the 
STEM, team, and unit economics perspective, you know, the three legs of stew for a quality company, they, they operate in a very big market, uh, billions of dollars, uh, a lot of utilities companies, not just utility companies, but other sectors like water utilities, um, rail, railways, and transportations, they're expanding to new sectors as well. And most of the time they're competing not really with the real competitors, they're competing with, um, you know, spreadsheets, and um, uh, you know some homegrown software solutions made by those uh, companies. You know they have examples where at first you know those companies think you know we could make the software. We don't really need you in our decision making process. However, uh, after a couple of years, they actually came back to Copperleaf and asked for their solution because they realized they can't really do the same thing as what Copperleaf does. And most of Copperleaf's competitors are focused on, you know, how to make the workflow more efficient or uh, focused on financial decisions. While Copperleaf took a very different approach, which is the value-based approach, basically um, transforming the way companies making decisions and, and benefits all the stakeholders, not just the shareholders uh, or, or so it's, it's and, and the sector actually right now has many um, tailwinds, for example, ESG um, considerations, energy transitions, you know, uh, carbon emission and all that uh, would be very good tailwinds for, for this, um, this platform because um, all their conversations right now with their potential customers all start with ESG. Um, they do help the companies to bring value from that perspective as well. They have a very, very a sticky customer base. Um, they um, they never lost a customer. You know, for a SaaS company, it's very important uh, if you have a sticky customer base, you don't really need to be on the treadmill, constantly chasing your customer. So in their case, it's almost the dream scenario. They never lost a customer. They have a very healthy landed expense strategy um, because they're generating really high ROI for, for the customer. They're driving exceptional retention rate um, if you look at their history, the retention rate would be a little bit lumpy because they still have the perpetual license revenue in there. However, it's it's in that 105 to 100, even 120% range. Um, very impressive. And they have multiple growth drivers ahead. Um, they they are just typically start with one line of business in that customer. For example, if it's utility companies, they probably start with their electricity department, and then they'll expand to their nuclear department. And 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 they probably start with one module of this platform. And they have three modules for copper leaf. They start with one, and then the company, the customer, realize they probably need to apply this to um, many other new scenarios as well. So they got another module from them. And like I said, they're expanding to other verticals, and they have made a really great success in that they expanding from the utilities to electricity utilities to um, to water utilities in UK and they, they they recently won quite a few big contracts from the UK water utilities company and in this whole challenging macro environment there's customer space is ideal because they are utilities companies. We are always going to use electricity using water, so it's very resistant, uh, resilient in this environment. Um, and the other, the final leg of the stew is the management team, and um, they are the management team uh, has been with the company over ten years, and they are a very qualified and experienced management team. They were originally for uh, Creel, another technology, a Canadian technology uh, firm which was bought um, uh, like over 10 years ago. And um, the um, um, the whole team basically uh, were here right now with Copperleaf. They were very disciplined. Uh, basically, they grew the company to this scale 
almost uh, without any um, outside capital. Is um, most of the part is bootstrapped, so they're very disciplined. And um, I think part of the, um, if you look at the stock price chart, part of the market perception is this company has been growing really fast, and and they probably uh, they're burning money and probably they're go going to be profitable. However, that's not true because before they went IPO. For a six of the eight years, they are actually profitable. They are self-sustained. So if they want to become profitable again, they could, and they have, they do have a visible path to it. It's just because right now the market opportunities are so big and they are at a really very early um, stage and they really want to capture the market. So they uh, invested uh, pretty much a lot of money in the um, uh, market sales and marketing and uh, R&D to capture this opportunity. But um, the management team is very disciplined and it's ingrained with a um, you know, disciplined cost structure. So um, so we, uh, we really think this company could uh, grow 20 to 30 um, percent in the foreseeable future. And um, given the mislocated evaluation gap, uh, we think this is a great investment opportunity. That's my pitch. Fantastic. Sharon, um, I, I'm supposed to ask you questions, but I think you covered everything I wanted to know. Um, the only thing I can ask, and maybe you know, is uh, the insiders. What, what kind of position do they have? What, what's the percentage ownership of, of uh, I guess, the board and any insiders? Um, they actually uh, own quite a significant part. Judy has the um, um, the, the CEO and the president, but actually she's trans transitioning to a more. Uh, uh, um, <clears throat> they actually hired another president for 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 the, for the role, and uh, she um, she owns um, and the board um, owns about twenty percent, uh, including um, like Pender Fund. We own over ten percent. So the insiders. Um, own, we have a representative on the on the board as well, so um, the insiders own quite a bit. It's quite aligned. Fantastic. And then, um, I mean, you mentioned all sorts of different customers, but is there any notable customers that 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 we know? If if you mention the names, yes, it, yeah. uh, one of them is Duke Energy. Mm -hmm. um, it's a quite a big um, um, customer for them, and they they have been staying with them for over ten years already. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. That's one um, of your. Um, like most renowned customers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so $147 million in cash, uh, do we know what they're burning on a sort of monthly basis or, or quarterly basis? Yes, right now they're they're burning about $20 million per year. However, um, they have, because in the past 12 months, they have been heavily invested um, um, in the sales marketing R&D. They're not really going to increase that spending. So from now on, we should be able to see a flat expense structure with, um, um, you know, with those efforts, like with those investments actually um, uh, generating profits, right? Generating more uh, incremental ARR. So fantastic, fantastic. Uh, that's all the questions I have, Sharon. I think you did a great job. Um, like I said, you you answered most of my questions before I could even ask them. So. Uh, uh, thank you for that. Okay, thank you. Thank you We've for been, being uh, easy on me. <laughs> you betcha. We've been speaking with Sharon Wang, a senior analyst, Pender Fund Capital Management. Thank you again, Sharon. We, we're not shareholders of Carfrey Technologies. All right. Uh, next up, from uh, the French-Canadian side of the country, we've got uh, Mathieu Martin, a portfolio manager, Rivemont Microcap Fund. Uh, Mathieu, take it away. Thanks, Paul. Uh, so before I start, just a quick disclaimer to say that this uh, presentation is for informational purposes only. Uh, these are not recommendations or investment advice. And the Rivmont Microcap Fund owns a position in the stock that I will talk about. 
So my current topic is a company called uh, Media Valley. It's a MVP on the TSX. Uh, <clears throat> so the stock is trading at $1.16 uh, with about 41 million shares outstanding and the market cap is about uh, 47 million. So uh, what the company does, it's a digital asset management platform and I'll refer to it as DAM, D-A-M. Um, so think of a digital asset management platform as a kind of a Dropbox on steroids, okay? So uh, let's say, uh, Paul, you and I have uh, some files to, to store online. Uh, we might use a, a, a Dropbox and it's fairly straightforward to, uh, to find uh, where our digital assets are and, and use them properly. But if you're a, a, a big company and you have maybe tens of thousands of different digital assets or, or maybe millions of them, uh, you need a more robust platform to, uh, to, to store those files. So to store, uh, you know, pictures, videos, uh, other types of files and to uh, search for them, uh, to tag them appropriately. To, uh, also for multiple users to, to, to find those files and use them. Uh, so the company has developed a, an enterprise class platform for that use case. And, and they also developed a lot of features like uh, some AI and machine learning tools as well. Um, the, the platform is based on the cloud on Microsoft Azure. And so it's, uh, it's very easy to scale globally. And uh, the company has uh, over uh, 450 customers that are paying on average about uh, $22,000 US. So uh, a quick overview of the market opportunity. Uh, the dam market is uh, is fast growing, as you can see on the chart. Uh, it, it's expected to grow at 19% CAGR for the next several years. Um, this market has been around for uh, about 30 years, and initially, uh, the players in the market uh, 30 years ago were commercializing uh, uh, on-premise uh, software platforms. So. Uh, Essentially, uh, the customers bought a perpetual license to, to the software and they would host it on-premise. So it was very costly uh, and, and only the, the large, very large companies would, would adopt a, a, a solution like that. But in the last 10 years or so, um, many new uh, players came onto the market with uh, cloud-based platforms uh, sold on a subscription basis. And so um, this... Uh, this uh, de decreased the, the price uh, of, the, of the software and allowed many, many more uh, smaller companies to uh, adopt uh, a dam as well. So today about 80% of uh, sales opportunities are still greenfield, meaning uh, uh, the customer is adopting a, a dam for the first time. Uh, so lots of opportunities to grow for Media Valley and also uh, many other players as well in the market. And, and finally, Media Valley is growing faster than the market. So uh, my thinking is that they, they are probably doing something uh, something well and something valuable to, to be able to go faster than a fast growing market. So in terms of financials, um, the company has uh, an annual recurring revenue CAGR of 40% in the last five years. Uh, their AR is now up to uh, over $13 million. Uh, their retention rate uh, is 100% this year. And even if we look at, uh, at COVID in 2020, their retention rate only dropped to 97%. So uh, you can see it's a very sticky solution. 
And uh, since, you know, it's a fast growing market and they have a sticky solution that, that the customers will, will keep paying for several years in, into the future, it just makes sense for MediaValet to, to invest heavily in sales and marketing and research and development to, uh, to develop a, a great platform and, and grab as much market share as possible in, in, the, in the early stages of, of this uh, growth market. Now, th this is the, the, probably the most important uh, slide or, or, or thing that, that people should, should uh, understand about Media Valley is that when you look at the financials, you need to focus on billings and not reported revenue or reported net income. And, and I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, so Media Valley sells a, a, a subscription. Uh, it's uh, typically one year, some go up to three years with an annual renewal. And what's important to understand is that the customers are built upfront. When they subscribe, they pay for a full year in advance, or if they renew, they renew for a full year in advance. And so the cash flows coming in, uh, they, they come in when it's built on day one, and then the revenue gets deferred. So it's it's uh, it's on the balance sheet, it, it's deferred revenue, and it gets recognized in the income statement over time, over the length of the subscription. So if you look at reported revenue, it's a lagging indicator because, because the, the cash flow has already come into the company. So you need to look at billings to see what are the real cash inflows coming in every quarter. And the, the company discloses that every quarter, the, the billings number. So on a billings basis, the company is on track to reach cash flow break even within 18 months without any dilution. Uh, and that's according to me, according to my model, but also according to management. Uh, management has stated that publicly uh, several times uh, that they don't expect to need any additional capital uh, beyond what they already have available. So 2.9 million of, of working capital and also a 7 million unused line of credit. Uh, so in essence, uh, the, the company will be cash flow positive way before it, they get to net income profitability. So if you understand that dynamic and you look at it on a cash flow basis, uh, I think you, you will be ahead of the curve uh, uh, and be able to, to make better decisions than other market participants. Now, in terms of valuation, uh, I looked at uh, the SAS Capital Index, which is uh, an index of publicly traded uh, B2B SaaS companies. So very uh, similar to uh, Media Valley. And uh, that's at the end of uh, October 2022. So the median uh, valuation was 6.8 times EV on ARR. And the median peer growth rate is uh, 22%. On the other hand, if you look at Media Valley, it's, it's currently trading at about 3.5 times EV on ARR. And uh, with a better historical growth rate of 40%. Uh, so just on a multiple, uh, re-rating alone, I think MVP should be worth to uh, two dollars twenty-five per share, or almost a double from from current price. And then uh, you still have uh, a nice uh, business that's growing forty uh, percent for the foreseeable future. So, uh, uh, just a summary: why I like it. Uh, it's a compounder. I think uh, they have a solid track record of revenue growth, and I think they, they can continue to grow at that rate going forward. Um, they have a great management team and board, and they are aligned with shareholders with an insider ownership of 
It's a, a very predictable business. Uh, I think it's fairly easy to make forecasts because um, they have recurring revenues, they have high margins, and they have a high customer retention rate. Uh, it's fairly undiscovered given its small size. And, and I know it's not as undiscovered as, as some of the names you find, Paul, but uh, still uh, given the, the market cap that is under 100 million uh, and also only two analysts covering the stock, I think um, it has room to uh, become more discovered over time by, by larger institutions. And as it gets discovered, I think uh, there's a, a good likelihood that we'll see a, a multiple expansion over time. Uh, and at, at current um, at current valuation with the, comp uh, the, the comparables that I see, uh, I think it's unlikely that the, the multiple would uh, contract from you. So uh, that's it, Paul. Uh, that's my pitch. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. Um, again, you guys do a great job. You're making my job uh, hard and easy at the same time. Uh, very few questions. Um, like, like I asked Sharon, uh, perhaps maybe uh, identify some of the clients they have. What, what kind of customers do they actually have? If you can name a few. Yeah, well, the, their biggest is uh, Universal. So the big uh, um, uh, like movie company. Uh, so you can imagine that they have... Uh, uh, several uh, thousands or uh, probably millions of, of different digital assets. Uh, so they have a, a few uh, large customers like that. Most of their, their customers, actually, they don't disclose publicly in press releases. But if you look at the, the investor deck, I, I believe they have a, a slide where you can see all the, the logos and uh, there are some fairly uh, well-known in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, now I actually know the company quite well. Um, I'm not a shareholder, but um, management team and certainly the chairman is is sort of well known in, the, in Western Canada and the tech space. Maybe talk a little bit more about uh, the management team or any of the, the other key people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, the chairman, Rob Chase, uh, that, that's actually the person who introduced me to the, who pitched me the, the company the first time. Uh, so he, he was at Absolute Software for, uh, I believe, about 15 years. And uh, I'm going off memory here, but I, he, he, he was a part of the senior management team and they grew the, the company from something like 4 million in, in revenue to uh, 100 million over the course of 15 years. And so uh, uh, he has a, a very solid track record of growing a, a SaaS company in Canada. Uh, and he, he's been uh, uh, a big supporter of the company for uh, several years. He's invested a lot of his own capital as well mm -hmm. in, in the company. Um, and then you have uh, some uh, very good people on the board too, uh, most notably the, um, uh, Francis Shen from Shen Capital, who's also a well-known uh, investor in Canada and well-known entrepreneur. A very accomplished entrepreneur and so uh, i think shen capital owns uh, uh close to 20 percent of the of the shows outstanding mm -hmm. fantastic yeah, like i said martin you, uh, matthew you did a fantastic job so i'm i'm, I'm out of questions here um, Paul, I, I i know your criteria so i i made sure everything <laughs> was in there <laughs> you know we will that was fantastic so we've been speaking with matthew martin uh portfolio manager rigmont microcap fund uh, speaking uh, about Media Valet. Thank you so much, Matthew. Thanks, Paul. All right. Uh, next up for Team Canada, we have uh, another ringer, uh, Ryan Irvine, President and CEO of Keystone Financial. 
Ryan, take it away. Thank you, Paul. I'm going to disclose first that Bobby will be uh, moving my slides today. I'm going to thank him so much for that because I'm apparently technically illiterate on the system right now, and he's going to help me with that. So if it, it's a little misaligned, we'll see. The other disclosure we'll make is we are shareholders in Dynacore and our clients are shareholders in Dynacore. Um, it is funny that I am talking about a mining related company because generally we rip apart the junior mining sector in Canada on a daily basis. But um, this company is a little different. We'll get into why. It's Dynacore Group. The company purchases its ore from government registered producers in various regions of Peru and then essentially processes it at its wholly owned mill, not a mine, but a mill facility to produce gold and silver, primarily gold, which is then sold internationally at uh, market prices. Dynacore has a very simple business model. Uh, their profitability depends on two factors, a margin between the price of ore purchased and the market price of gold when it's sold. The higher the margin, the better. The second element would be throughput, the amount of ore processed, the higher throughput, the better. Uh, generally during a quarter, the higher, uh, or sorry, generally during a period of time, a higher gold pricing environment encourages more small scale miners uh, to mine, which grows Dynacore's ore supply, creates profitable growth. Fluctuations within a quarter um, in terms of margins in the quarter can occur if the price of gold is trending up, which would be positive for margins, or the trend of gold is going down, which would be negative for margins. But this tends to average out uh, with the fluctuations of gold prices within a given year. The company's based in Montreal, has been operating in Peru for 15 years, and has been profitable for 11 consecutive years. Here's a little summary on the screen here of our coverage. We consider this company a spec buy or speculative buy because of the geopolitical risk operating in Peru. Fair value 425, it's in the gold milling industry. We recommended $1.30 to $2, I've owned it since then and bought at even higher prices. Again, high risk geopolitically, currently trading around 260. Market cap around 100 million, so considered a small cap for sure in the Canadian market. Pays a good dividend of 3.8%, and it's in our small cap area of research. So let's move on to why we like it. That would be the next slide. So why do we like it? Uh, there's 11 consecutive profitable years with this business. Like I mentioned, that is something that's really unheard of in the gold-related sector. Very strong balance sheet. Net cash here is 42% of the market cap. It'll cap, sorry, it'll self-fund growth plans with no dilution, not issuing shares. And we can look to see how the cash price or the cash per share has grown over the past four years here. This is all from internally generated cash flow, not from going to the market, issuing shares and raising capital that way. Uh, in 2019, we can see here 20 cents per share today, $1.10 per share. Uh, that's significant growth in the balance sheet, all while paying and increasing a dividend. And we'll talk about that in a sec. And move to the next slide. Dividend growth is what we like here. It is a dividend growth stock. You can see in the next slide that there is awesome. Uh, from 2018, you can see here, since the dividend was introduced, the company has aggressively grown that dividend every year, more than doubling it since 2019. The payout ratio remains a conservative 25%. And we expect another dividend increase to start 2023. So we'll move to the next slide. 
It has reasonable valuations, which is something we look for in our GARP or growth at a reasonable price our model. And we'll talk about those valuations in a second. And it has growth and diversification place in plan going forward. So let's look at the three-year financial summary of this business we can see here. Um, sales in 2018, US dollars 104 million, up to 95.9 million. That's 88% growth. EBITDA up 124%. Earnings per share, which is key here, up 150%. Dividends up, it's 100% there. It's annualized at 10% now. Again, we expect a, an increase in the dividend in 2023. So let's look at some more granular financial information year to date on the company. So this would be the nine months. We see revenues rose 3%. Um, they've basically at capacity, capacity that they just increased. So there is you know, around 3% growth uh, over the nine months. Earnings per share was up to 22 cents US from 20 or 30 cents Canadian from 27. Cash position here, we talked about this, 31 million in the bank, $1.09 per share and no debt. The outlook for guidance there, you can see, you know, four to 14% and they're hitting that range by the end of the year or net income should hit that guidance range as well. Uh, there's some near-term headwinds here. This is an opportunity. Share prices pulled back, still done well on the year, but pulled back. 20, Q3 2021 was essentially an all-time high. They included a one-time sale of gold that was held by the Peruvian government. There's lower average grades uh, over this quarter compared to last year, and gold trended lower during that quarter which shrinks margins in quarter. So that's why you saw lower revenues in that quarter and profitability. We expect that to correct into next year. So here's the three to five year growth strategy. The plan is to use the cash generated from the existing successful mill in Peru to expand, replicate this proven model in other geographies. And that's where the real upside here would be. It has an existing plant, the Veta Dorada Peru South plant, it expanded this again in 2022. Um, this is something we continue to see. Its nameplate capacity there uh, is around, right now is up to 600,000 tons per day. They just went up to 500,000 tons per day. So there's still some expansion there um, allowable over the next year. But we, the real growth that we expect to see is in uh, Peru North, where we see higher grades available. It's an underserved market. Recent um, received little ore right now from this region. We believe the operation is already underway uh, in terms of constructing that. And we should hear news on this in the first three months of 2023. The initial plant would be about 150 tons per day and range uh, in terms of capex between 10 and 15 million. And that would be funded from cash on hand. Then following that nine to 12 months to construct and permit operations, you could see operations there optimistically in 2024. They have a joint venture in West Africa as well um, with in Senegal. Uh, we should hear news on that in 2023. They're also looking at other areas in West Africa where small scale mining operations are prevalent. Number four there on that list in terms of expansion would be South America. Currently management has one plant in due diligence phase. Whether they purchase it or construct it, uh, they have the cash on hand 31 million in cash on hand to build it themselves or acquire. So let's look at our investment thesis here. Strong dividend grower. We saw that yielding right now 3.6%. That balance sheet is in place for expansion. Geographically, 
The plan is to have four mills operating in the next three to five years. Uh, whether it be in Peru, we think the next operating um, mill comes out, but Latin American countries and West Africa is what they're targeting as well. The existing Vetter Dorada plant was just upgraded last week. I just mentioned this. Capacity went from 430 tons per day to 500. So that's 16% growth built in. That'll build into the numbers next year. So we'll have growth while we wait for new plants to come online. Fair value. Well, the company trades at 5.9 times earnings per share, actual earnings per share, and uh, at about 3.5 times if you remove the cash per share. Those are low multiples. So if we apply a seven times multiple, our expected 2022 earnings, we get a fair value in the range of 425. As far as insider ownership, there's 39 million shares out. CEO owns a million. Insiders own roughly between 15 and 20%, and they've been net buyers of the stock this year. So overall, shareholder friendly, share buybacks, dividend growth. We expect another dividend increase next year. Now, if Dynacor is the only stock you own in your portfolio, you're crazy. There's high geopolitical risk. If it's one of 15 to 20 high quality growth and dividend growth stocks in a well-built portfolio, it makes sense. And that's all I've got for you today, Paul. If you've got some questions, I am here. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Another great job. Um, again, you answered most of my questions as you went along there. Um, so just let's let's reiterate a couple of highlights. I think you said so. The company's obviously got uh, plenty of cash. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they've got growth plans now. They do have that cash, like you said, that is uh, sufficient enough for their current growth plans. Correct? Yes. I mean, it yeah. it should take them through two mills. And the thing is, they're generating cash flow ten point five million US in for the nine months this year. So they're just building up cash on the balance sheet. Uh, even with the dividend, I mean, they have room to continue to increase 25% payout ratio right now. I, mm -hmm. You know, everything looks great fundamentally. The risk here is, you know, G Peru is geopolitically risky, right? The, mm -hmm. There's a left-leaning new party in, in power in Peru, and, that, and that's your risk, right? You, right? you can't really allay that country-specific country risk until they move into other jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. That's what we'd like to see. They were successful mm -hmm. in Peru. Uh, running this model, going from a net debt position to a huge net cash position. If they can replicate that model in other markets, you know, it, it has growth upside from where it is. Right now. Mm -hmm. And just gold, they don't look at any other, any other metals. Uh, they would, I mean, but gold is their sweet spot, right? They know the business. It's, it's great to, you know, just stick to what you know. I mean, there is small mm -hmm. amounts of silver that's been sure. processed, but you're, you're really, it's a, a gold milling company. And we would love them to stick within uh, their, you know, stick within their netting and, st and do what they do mm -hmm. best. They know that market. They know the international market, which they sell on to. They could do silver for mm -hmm. sure. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, right now we'd see it's mm -hmm. And do you ever see a company like this getting acquired? Is that, is that a possibility for something like uh, this? You know, it would be someone who just wanted to milk the cash flow, like a private equity firm. I, I mm -hmm. think they're really much, very much underfollowed, unknown. Yeah. Uh, you know, there could be a time. I mean, there's... There's one other, I think Inca One is a company in, right. in, in the market now. They're not profitable, but you know they're in Peru as well and they mill. Um, like I'm not predicting anything, but there would be mm -hmm. more of a chance of it acquire of Dynacor swallowing up a company like that. Although, you know, Dynacor's facilities are, pro we would say, uh, more a cutting edge. So we, we mm -hmm. would, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if they would be looking to acquire a company like mm -hmm. that. 
Fantastic. No, I, I think it's a great story. Um, I, I love that it's obscure and uh, sort of it, it's very sort of obscure. Goes- well, we thought we'd bring a little unique obscureness <laughs> to the to the presentation because as if we didn't bring enough with our technical difficulties, right? We'll have a company that's unique, unique, cash rich, and you know, as one of fifteen to twenty five companies in portfolio, I think it makes sense and it's going to pay you that dividend. It's increased that dividend a number of times already, so we expect it's- it to continue to do that. Exactly. And um, for, for disclosure purposes, I'm not a shareholder, but I, I'm, I'm always intrigued by these type of businesses because everybody looks at mining as a, as a long shot, right? And there's always these, yeah. these companies within the sector that, um, you know, are real businesses generating I mean, cash. And, they uh, actually do have a property too. If, if you hmm. really want to, you know, it's <laughs> I, I, we assign zero value to it basically, sure. right? But I mean, they have an exploration property within Peru. There is many companies out there that have a property like this and have a market cap of, you know, 50 to 100 million. Mm-hmm. Well, you mm-hmm. get this massive cash producing mill along with that property. So if you want right. to play your, you know, play your junior mining company, here's a junior miner, but they also make, you know, they also make money thousands which is a- in, in cash flow, <laughs> which is great. And they'll pay you to own the stock. So it's yeah, great. fantastic. No, fantastic story. Thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, we've been speaking to Ryan Irvine, uh, President CEO, Keystone Financial. Uh, Dynacore. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Have a good day. You bet. All right. Uh, one more for Team Canada. We've got Harold Leishman, Senior Investment Advisor, Canaccord Genuity. Harold, take it away. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Bobby, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm, a, as Paul said, advisor with CG Wealth Management. Today, we're going to talk about Boardwalk uh, technology. Uh, I am a shareholder and we do own the stock for clients. Um briefly who we are. Um, so I'm part of a nine person team. I run the venture capital portion of the team, the high risk uh, situation my partner, Mike does the more conservative stuff. It's all driven on uh, uh, quant based screening processes. Uh, our disclaimer, these are the opinions of uh, me and my team and not CG wealth management. Um, and we'll get on to uh, uh, boardwalk technology. Um, so uh, one of the reasons we picked this name is it's actually a little bit difficult to uh, uh, understand the stories. We think it's uh, generally misunderstood in the market. Um, as I said, we're uh, primarily uh, quant-based. Quant um, this is sort of a summary of their financials. The quarterly revenue, you can see, is growing at a rapid rate. It sort of picked up after being flat for a very long time and trillion 12 month revenue is now also growing greater than 25%. Uh, one of the main risks in the deal, I think we should always talk about risk, is the company is currently EBITDA negative, uh, losing about a uh, million dollars a quarter. These numbers are all in USD, um, uh, as, is the, uh, as is the valuation. Uh, stock chart. Um, this company's sort of been in transition for a while. Uh, they were heavily encumbered with debt, about five million U.S. Um, back here in 2021, uh, they were able to get rid of that debt. Part of it was a conversion to equity, and uh, and part of it was via an equity placement. Uh, they've used those funds to uh, pursue growth. Um, and then it's been a difficult market, so it's obviously had some volatility. Uh, there is a lack of liquidity in the shares, so that's an additional risk uh, for sure, is understanding share price volatility. Uh, now, what does the company do? Um, they take 
highly complex set, complex sets of data. So this is an, uh, a customer example. They have uh, Heineken, and this is on Boardwalk's website. Heineken USA um, uh, manages nine brands. Uh, there's a variety of different sizing in their product. They sell through distributors, and those distributors sell through retailers. And Heineken has to figure out uh, where to spend their marketing dollars um, based on price point. So uh, they end up having about 40,000 different uh, data pieces, and a certain percentage of those are moving um, at different points in time. And how do you know sort of where you are in, in time? So they're able to consolidate that data um, uh, and keep track of who's made what change when, uh, so they can go and audit in history. Um, oops, sorry, too far. Um, what changes have been made and how that affected the outcome. So, in terms of you know auditing for something like tax across all of the different states and so on, they can figure out uh, if if the uh, data is well, the tax has been paid and the data is accurate. Um, also, you know, was their promotion successful? They spent money based on price point for marketing um, and. Uh, it's a it's a big part of their budget, so it's a little complex, but that's that's what they do. They do have uh, a blue chip list of clients, uh, which is what we like, um, or one of the things we like. You can see some of the clients here: Heineken, Estee Lauder, Ernst and Young. Uh, these are the different uh, verticals that they're working on. Most recently, they did add another vertical um, in. Um, they landed a large banking client. Uh, they announced it as sort of a top, I think it was a top 10 financial institution based in New York City. And that's had some significant um, uh, impact on their revenue growth. And we think could be a significant driver of future revenue growth. It is a SaaS business. They can converted their business to a SaaS business in 2018. Um, this is a summary of their um, revenue broken down. The blue line represents their annual recurring revenue uh, on a quarterly basis. So you can see it's growing at about 100%. And uh, like many SaaS businesses, it is a land and expand uh, situation. Uh, so here's an example of one consumer care product company they had. They started with $85,000 of annual recurring revenue in 2021. It's gone up, whatever that is, three or four times by this year, and they expect that to continue to grow. Uh, so with these large blue chip customers, there is a lot of room for expansion. One of the reasons we picked this for this particular competition is we think it's one of the torquier names out there. Uh, we think the revenue growth is very sticky. Uh, uh, client retention is north of uh, 90% and client uh, re revenue expansion is also north of 90%. Um, and uh, another potential driver of growth, uh, this is in a, sort of a snapshot of their financials. You can see the marketing expense has gone from you know, $27,000 a quarter to a quarter of a million dollars in a quarter. Um, this most recent customer win uh, with the financial institution actually came from one of their customers called HCL. HCL is an $11 billion uh, information technology business and they brought in the financial institution, they are sharing in the revenue. And we think going forward, um, you know, that could have a significant impact. Currently, Boardwalk, Boardwalk has only five salespeople. 
if you add on HCL and potentially others as sales conduits for your product, we think that the revenue growth could be significant. Um, quick look at the customer list. Um, the financial institution is not in there, it's unnamed. Um, and very simply, uh, right now, enterprise value to annual recurring revenue is just under four times uh, based on management's uh, guidance, uh, which is upwards of 7 million US, their fiscal year end is, is March. Uh, we think it'll be three times and going forward, we think it dramatically contracts, the valuation dramatically contracts going forward. Um, so it is a rapidly growing SaaS model. Uh, we've tried to find competing products. We haven't been able to find anybody uh, that does something similar. Uh, I said the big risk is they're not profitable. Uh, we think that profitability could be on the horizon with management stated growth rates. Uh, and in terms of proof of concept, we think that's, uh, that's established with the blue chip names that they have. So that's my three minute pitch. Awesome. Sorry. Sorry about that. The little delay there. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks, Harold. Um, the uh, so he, this is another business that we know fairly well. Um, I'm not a shareholder of it, uh, but um, you know, it, it, happy to see the consistent growth that we've seen here. Um, back to some of the questions that we, I sort of been asking everybody is just give us a sense of the the sort of the makeup of the shareholder base. If you know what's what's the insider ownership, and are you aware of any sort of significant institutional type of investors? Um, uh, insiders have north of 20%. I forget the exact number. It might be, it might be 23 or 25. Um, uh, there is, um, uh, the fund that had the debt originally did convert into equity or a big, a big chunk into equity. So they would be uh, a block out there. And the rest of it, I think is just, uh, somewhat scattered around. And so the shares are quite illiquid. So that is, mm -hmm. that adds an additional challenge for investors. Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball question, but I mean, this, this is a Canadian Thanks, tech Paul. sort of a, I, I love to do it. Um, <laughs> a microcap Canadian tech name. Um, you know, I would argue that in Canada, the, these always get sort of misunderstood or mispriced or sort of left alone. What, what, what do you think it takes for a company like this to get recognized uh, uh, properly and get the sort of the, the comparable value you see typically in the U S yeah, I think um, I think that, that is a challenging question. I don't think the company's done a great job necessarily of telling their story. Um, I think they are looking to uh, upgrade their listing in the US uh, and, and I guess would be spending some time and effort trying to get their story promoted down there. Um, but I, I, don't, uh, I don't know the answer to that story. Gotcha. I was just, I was hoping your, your wisdom of the general markets <laughs> would help us out there. Um, okay, perfect. Well, no, like, listen, thank you. Uh, thank you. I think you did a great job as well. Uh, Boardwalk uh, Technologies. Um, we've been speaking with Harold Leishman, Senior Investment Advisor, uh, Canaccord Genuity, or what do you guys call yourselves now? It's not Canaccord Genuity. CG Wealth Management. CG Wealth Management. Always yeah. changing their name. A nice uh, rebrand. Nice rebrand, nice re yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Harold. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Paul. All right, Paul, that does it for Team Canada at the Stock Pitch World Cup. Thank you so much again for moderating this. Where can our audience go and find more information to follow you as well as Small Cap Discoveries? Uh, so Small Cap Discoveries, uh, you can find uh, me and uh, our team and uh, you know more information on Small Cap Discoveries at smallcapdiscoveries.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul Andriola. 
Um, and you can follow Small Cap Discoveries uh, on Twitter at smallcapdisc, D-I-S-C. Uh, Bobby, this has been a lot of fun and I uh, look forward to uh, hoisting the cup this year. Love it. Thank you, Paul. You bet. This presentation is a service of SNN Inc. or an affiliate thereof, collectively SNN, and all information presented is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities, nor is this an offer or sale of any security. Neither SNN nor its representatives are licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, or with any state securities regulatory authority. SNM provides no assurances as to the accuracy or completeness of the information presented, including information regarding any specific company's plans or its ability to effectuate any plan and possess no actual knowledge of any specific company's operations, capabilities, intent, resources, or experience. Any opinions expressed in this presentation are solely attributed to each individual asserting the same and do not reflect the opinion of SNN. Individuals who appear in this presentation presentation may have a financial stake, stock ownership, or otherwise in the company or companies presented. Information contained in this presentation may contain forward-looking statements as defined under Section 27A of the Securities Act of 1933 and Section 21B of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. Forward-looking statements are based upon expectations, estimates, and projections at the time the statements are made and involve risks and uncertainties that could cause actual events to differ materially from those anticipated. Therefore, viewers are cautioned against placing any undue reliance upon any forward-looking statement that may be found in this and any SNN presentation. SNN does not engage in providing advice, making recommendations, issuing reports, or furnishing analysis on any of the company's security strategies or information presented. SNN recommends you consult a licensed investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this or any SNN presentation. Furthermore, it is encouraged that you invest carefully and consult investment-related information available on the websites of the SEC at www.sec.gov and the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FINRA, at finra, F-I-N-R-A, dot org.